You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. You know, I've been on this planet 67 years, soon will be 68. I think I probably like a lot of guys that grew up watching the day the earth stood still. And then 64, the Star Trek series came along. Um, Robinson Crusoe and Mars. I was fascinated with space. I was fascinated with technology. I still am today. I'm fascinated with cars, absolutely captivated by the prospect of energy usage that makes my car go from zero to 60 in a couple of seconds and burns absolutely no combustible fuels. I love that idea. If I had my preference, I'd have Nikola Tesla on my podcast today, but he's been gone 70 years. Or Elon Musk, he's busy tweeting nowadays. But I have the next best thing, I think. I have two fellows that are operating that space where potentially they're going to change space travel as we know it. And one of them has this thing for fast cars, and I know him a little bit better than the other guy. I am so excited this morning. I'm like a little kid in a candy store because we're going to talk about space travel, technology that's changing the world as we know it. And I'm so excited to have Richard Mansell, the chief executive officer and co-founder of Evo Limited, and Daniel Telehey, the chief operating officer and co-founder of Evo Limited on Mike Seminary and Friends. It's great to see you. How are you, gentlemen? And I'll start with you, Richard. Doing very well. It is a pleasure to be with you today and looking forward to sharing what's going on. Daniel, how are you? I am doing great. Great because I'm excited to uh, talk about the company and it's uh, kind of nice to see your face again. <laughs> well, thank you. I rarely hear that, just so you know. People say that they're happy to see my face. Well, today's the day. Uh, I'm going to kind of share with folks what I was talking about earlier. I watched probably for the fifth or sixth time this morning the three minute plus whatever odd seconds video on your website. We'll talk about the website in a moment. And I was absolutely captivated by what I what I saw because I I saw uh, you know the technology that could change so significantly space travel and I suspect other applications as well. But when I see something that's telling me that there's uh, we're on the edge of technology that can generate travel with zero fuel for all practical purposes. I'm just going, that's amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. And I probably didn't say that very well. The last thing I want to add is when I see welcome to the future, the future of space propulsion is here. And I know a little bit about that just because I'm this guy that reads a little bit. Richard, I'm going to ask you the question first. You are the inventor of the world's first truly wireless power solution, CBAT, the world's first tr- 
fully electric thruster. That's a little bit over my head already. Tell me what that means to me, but more importantly, what it means to the future of space travel, potentially. Yeah, what we're doing is we're opening up new ways for technology to move forward. There's a lot of smart men and women out there who are working on improvements of current technology. And their degrees, uh, their specialty is in those various fields. When it comes to current wireless power, as you mentioned, um, you know, there's a lot of people in the electromagnetic spectrum. They have degrees in those areas. They're doing a fantastic job incrementally improving those fields. There are people in the, the space industry, rocketry, uh, whether it's uh, electric propulsion, such as Hall effect thrusters or chemical rockets uh, that they're smart people, they're working those areas and they are constantly improving those fields. But it's fascinating to me as we look over the history of technological breakthroughs, it's usually someone outside of the specialty fields that can make a significant leap. Not that they're necessarily any smarter than another smart person, but they're not necessarily trained to just improve the current technology. And so that's one of the things that we have been able to take advantage of here at Evo Limited is instead of trying to improve current technologies, we have a philosophy of going, all right, what? let's take current technology, even though it's good, and put it to the side and say, what other options are there? What are other areas that have not been explored? And that's where we take advantage of exploring new fields, new angles to the same problems. And so that's why we're really excited that I think it's because of that mentality that we have been able to make breakthroughs in the area of wireless power transmission by using a totally different technology than the common electromagnetic field. And likewise with space, when it comes to propulsion, uh, putting aside a lot of the current, currently used technology, instead of trying to improve that, work on other cutting edge ideas and, and saying, all right, what if we can make a product that does something totally different? And that's where the breakthroughs tend to happen. And that's where we've seen in the history of technology. And uh, we're excited to be a part of that even now. And I think in the future, that's how technology breakthroughs are going to be made. Before I go to you, Daniel, and thank you, Richard, for that. Here's what I heard in the beginning of your explanation and how you compliment others in the field and their efforts and the great work that they're doing. Sometimes when someone comes in that isn't as close to the work at hand and they have a set of experiences that really are complementary, we can look at an opportunity or an issue or a work at, at hand and say, what if we did this? Because our set of experiences and skills allow us to look at it somewhat differently. Because I've seen that it, being in the retired from the engineering industry, civil, I see where sometimes people look at an issue or look at a problem and somebody comes in with a different set of skills and say, well, what if we tried that? And all of a sudden a light bulb kind of goes on. Yes. That's really how, how, how I think I heard what you just shared. 
yes, it's opportunity for cross-pollination of ideas. Uh, someone trained in a different field looking at the same problem can come up with a unique solution mm -hmm. that isn't always better, but sometimes it is. Mm -hmm. And that's when we can make huge leaps forward. Daniel, first of all, Daniel, thank you so much for your service to our country as a, a fellow that served the United States Marine Corps. Appreciate that very much. Thank you. How did a fellow that grew up in North Dakota um, end up meeting a fellow that had background working in GE, not from North Dakota? How did your paths cross and you move forward with your complimentary backgrounds and said, we let's start this company Evo limited. Tell me how that happened. Sure. Um, so that is actually a very interesting story. Um, and, and one that I enjoy telling because it is so interesting how me and Richard did uh, come together. We actually met in 2014 um, through a community uh, online community um, hosted by local motors and you mentioned that I love cars. And during that time period, that's when I was developing a new automotive platform uh, for a company I had started. And one of our designers, because I'm not a designer, uh, and one of our designers uh, mentioned, hey, for electronics and everything, there is an individual that I would recommend. He is absolutely brilliant. And he's on this online community called Local Motors. Uh, so Local Motors was this amazing place where engineers, designers, uh, just hobbyists, um, anybody with a dream could come together and design something. And the thing that was so brilliant about Local Motors is they would have this online community, say, design a car. They'd have competitions to design a, a car or a buggy or a cart or something like that. And they would actually build it. <laughs> they would actually put their engineering resources into it, as well as the online community's resources, and then build this thing. Um, and so it was really natural that I gravitated towards uh, local motors, but then as well, someone like Richard, who's also an enthusiast and a hobbyist, uh, would gravitate towards that type of platform. And so um, that is how I ended up meeting him, was through local motors platform, which was in introduced to me uh, by one of my very close friends, uh, David Neal. And I, I approached him and said, hey, I don't have a lot of money, <laughs> uh, but what I do have is this dream to build a car. Here's the dream. Would you be interested in designing electronics for it? And Richard's like, hey, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Let's do that. Um, so it was, it was such a great introduction because it was completely based off of just enthusiasm for, for technology enthusiasm for the automotive community um, and the platform that we were communicating through. So it was just, it was really great uh, to meet in that way. And yeah, we worked, we worked together on um, the automotive platform we were designing. Um, There's actually two, the, the Mammoth, which was the supercar as we refer to it, um, that we were designing and then uh, an existing vehicle, a rally fighter. Um, and yeah, we, we worked together for years on those projects, uh, and when it came to when it came to Evo Limited and how Evo Limited came to be, that's that's an even more interesting story of how we approached Richard with that. Um, we actually we actually asked uh, my sister in law who had this uh, she had this brilliant idea for a 
um, laser drip counter for an IV. Her, her uh, parents or her mom works in the medical field. And she noticed all of these things that the medical field was missing, and specifically an IV drip counter um, that counted with a laser. She had this idea to build one that was cheap, you know, super affordable for hospitals and whatnot. Um, but she did it as a science project in high school. And after high school, asked me because she knew I was in the realm of business and um, specifically, you know, new technologies and stuff like that. She she asked me, is that something that maybe you could take further? And so I was like, all right, let's look at that. So the one person I called when it had to do with, you know, electronic development was Richard Mansell. <laughs> Uh, that was the literally the first individual I called and was like, hey, here's this project I'm thinking about working on. And the focus was going to be building technology um, for, say, Doctors Without Borders or for people going overseas um, that don't necessarily have to follow regulations here in the United States um, with medical technology. Because if you try to introduce a medical technology here, um, it's very expensive. <laughs> Uh, so we were going to design technology we could sell um, to people going overseas, maybe people going to combat zones, things like that. And while doing that, that drip counter, it required batteries. And Richard uh, was designing a modular energy pack for that. So that would be different kind of batteries, different kind of power plugs. And as he was showing um, the model off, there was a module that said WP. And we asked him, oh, what is, what, what's that for? And he's like, oh, that's wireless power. And, and I just want to remind you, this is before Evo Limited was a thing. Evo Limited was not a thing at this point. Um, and we were, we were paying Richard independently to develop this. And so we say, what's WP? And he said, oh, wireless power. Like, oh, OK, cool. Um, like magnetic induction, or could you explain that? And he goes, mm, maybe, uh, maybe we sign a non-disclosure agreement for that side of things, that technology I'm developing. Uh, I'm like, okay. So we signed this non-disclosure agreement, me and uh, my partner at the time, Matthew Sir Silbernagel. And uh, we go into this meeting with Richard where he describes what we now know as capacitive-based aerial transmission. And I'll tell you that um, we dropped everything we were doing <laughs> when he described this to us and gave us some of the preliminary results from some of the experiments he had we dropped absolutely everything we were doing uh, because we knew how game changer this technology was going to be for the world and it was at that moment uh winter of 2017 where we decided yep we're doing this together um we're, we're gonna go into business together and uh we're going to develop this technology. And that's, that's what ended up, you know, generating Evo limited was, was that drive. Okay. So that's perfect because that takes me back to the day in church, Richard, I at the time was in a worship team with Daniel's father. And but before we're practicing, Mike, I got a table. My son's working on I, I, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but he is so excited. He says, they're working on electricity that requires no fuel and no wires. I said, what? Yeah, I'm power <laughs> electricity with no fuel, no wires. I said, what? <laughs> and I said, I don't get it. So, so I had forgotten about that conversation until just 
a while back. I don't even know why. And I said, I got to get a hold of Daniel. I have to follow up on this. So thank you for explaining it that way, because that's also the time frame. I want to go back to the to the website, the video. And the website is ivolimited.us, ivolimited.us, evolimited.us. Incredible video. Zero watt, zero fuel, single watt. Single watt, zero fuel. I'm going, what? How is that possible? So Richard, those four words just grab, just grab me. Kind of help me understand how that works, if you don't mind. Sure. So there's a number of different ways to move things. And uh, we tend to start off doing things the hard way in almost any technological field. And it's not because we want to do it the hard way. We're just exploring a new field. And uh, so we tend to do brute force and uh, what we're used to. And here on Earth, we are used to pushing against something to push something else. You have a rock to move. You just (laughs) clamp yourself between that rock and the ground, get some traction, and you push. And, uh, you know, that takes us to Newton's third law, that for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. But that's describing trying to push something, although it has its place. Um, we've just kind of assumed that it's, it's for everything. And it makes sense. That's how it works here on Earth. Um, but then what we found is that space is a whole nother ball game. And it works in space as well. You know, the same theories that we've been working on, the same chemical action and reaction that we've been working on. They work in space, but it's a little more efficient because there's a lack of friction and such. The reality is, though, as we learn more about space, the farther out we go, when we start to see how stars move around galaxies and things move in space, we're finding that not everything in space is moving quite like our theories predicted. Not that our theories were wrong, necessarily, but they weren't complete. And as we scale up with the universe and as we look smaller, and we scale down to the quantum level, we start to see where our theories break down. Again, not because they're not perfect as much as they're not complete. And so over the past, I guess it would be 60 years now, we've had this this turning point where people have to start looking at our theories that we had up until the 1960s and say, okay, these are no longer applying on the extremes, the very small and the very large. So what are we gonna do about it? Do we, do we just make up something to fill the gap and hold to what we've always held to? Or do we consider that maybe there's more to the equation? There's more to it that we actually need uh, to be pursuing. And for the most part, A lot of people over the last 60 years have just continued to try and improve on what we've already had. And I think it's it's led them down a good road, but not the best road. Same thing with wireless power. I I think there's a parallel here, and it's another reason why Evil Limited has been able to make success in both areas. 
we got really used to electromagnetism over the past 100 plus years. And so the industry, the mentality, the school system, it's not wrong, but that's what they've been focusing on. And one of the ways we were able to make breakthroughs in this area is we went back 100 years, just over 100 years, and looked at some of the early research where people weren't prejudiced towards a certain mentality concerning electric fields, electromagnetic fields. They were just writing down everything they discovered. You know, everything they found is like, I don't understand it, but here's a formula that should fit because they didn't try to squeeze it into their current mentality because there was no current mentality. There was no current industry when it came to electricity, whether wired or, or no wires. And uh, electromagnetism and wired technology really took hold because there became a market for it. And then people got trained in that area because they wanted jobs in that market. And then that has snowballed over the last hundred years to make incredible pieces of technology and equipment, et cetera. But there's certain aspects of electricity that we kind of push to the side, never really developed. And so that's what we were able to do with Evil Limited when it came to wireless power and said, well, instead of the focusing on the electromagnetic field, what about the electric field? Who's taking advantage of the electric field? What are the potentials there? And that's when we started finding out that, wow, there's a lot of potential. And can we make this into an actual product? Yes. Can we power drones that can fly indefinitely with no batteries? Yes, we do it. We've done it so regularly at Evo Limited now, I actually forget sometimes that I have a drone flying in a corner <laughs> with no battery. And I'm writing an email to someone else. It's just, it becomes commonplace. Well, the same thing with space is that there's so many more room, there's so much room for improving our theories and the mechanics and the calculations of what it actually takes to move something that have been largely ignored because it doesn't fit the mainstream thinking. And not that the mainstream thinking is incorrect, but it's not complete. Mm -hmm. And what we found is, is that we can develop and have now developed a product that does not break theories. It does not break laws, but it fulfills extensions to the laws that fit the rest of the puzzle. Uh, and that's why we can do it at such low power, because we're not trying to move it in this push-action-reaction uh, sense. But without breaking that law, we found that there's more to it. And it doesn't take as much power. Is it effective? Yes, it is. Is it free energy? No. <laughs> are, 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 we, are we breaking science? No. But we're finding out these more of these puzzle pieces. And... Uh, Beings, we are so focused on making things that work. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it fits my ego concerning my ideas of how things should work, or and I don't really care about someone else's ego concerning whether or not it fits how they think things should work. Not, nothing against other people. What I'm just saying is I'm more concerned about what actually works rather than whether my idea or someone else's idea is true. I'm willing to change my idea to fit what actually works. And uh, that's what we're finding is that there is a low power mode that's even better than the brute force mode. 
It's kind of like we go back to, can you get from point A to point B on a horse? Sure. And nothing wrong with that. But is that really the only way to go? Because you could go with a car. And you could go even faster with a car. Totally new set, not breaking any of the rules. And to someone who just likes horses, it almost seems wrong. It's impossible. But the reality is beyond cars, there's airplanes. Once you learn that, you're not breaking the rules for horses and cars. You've just found an even better way to get from point A to point B, et cetera. And that's why I believe we've been able to discover and we're pushing the boundaries on when it comes to space travel. You just made me think of a question that I probably wouldn't have thought of based on the research that I did in preparation for today. And it has to do with ebb tolls. Um, but before I ask the question, here's another thing I just heard. And I, I'll let you two decide who should answer the question when I get back to ebb tolls. The thing I heard, I think, when you were talking about prejudice is we've always done things this way based on how we've always done things. And sometimes, and that really smart people can fall into that same trap. We've always done things this way based on how we've always done things. And what you just said is we don't have to break anything. We just introduce uh, a new approach or a new idea. That's how I heard that which was really refreshing. Now, to ebb tolls, I, when you talked about the drone hovering in the corner of your office, you know, ebb tolls for folks that are listening is electric vehicle takeoff and landings. And there is this race, and it's primarily being led right now between the United States and China with regards to, for all practical purposes, there are big drones that will carry people from point A to point B, because that's where we're going in terms of transportation, the ease of transportation, dealing with congestion, how to get from point A to point B without using combustible uh, engines, et cetera, et cetera. So EVTOLS is becoming this huge opportunity. So when I heard you say drone, I'm saying to myself, well, what you guys are working on with regards to the space application is now equally, if not more appropriately applied to here, not up in space in terms of drone and EVTOLs. It, when I heard you talk about your drone, no electricity, no, or no, no battery, excuse me. Did I hear that correctly, that that would apply to EVTOLs? Yes, any uh, mobile electric device, if it's electrically powered, we can transmit power to that device without wires. Okay. And okay, hold so, it now. I'm trying to do this, but I'll forget because I'm an really okay. old guy. So now, Daniel, I'm going to ask you a question. That's done without a battery, right? How, so how does it work? Well, the secret sauce is... <laughs> <laughs> if you can reveal that. So obviously, we, we're, we're very um, private about the inner workings of that technology um, right now. Um, but what I think we can say openly is that Richard had mentioned that the primary focus of the world has been electromagnetic induction. That has been the common way of doing things. There are other people or players that have tried to jump into the wireless power industry 
uh, with infrared, with lasers, all kinds of different options. Um, but their breakdown on all of them, this is for electromagnetic or lasers or radio waves or whatever, has always been safety. You cannot scale any of them up to an effective level to where you could do what we are talking about, powering drones long distance, powering your phone from one end of your house to the other. You couldn't do so safely. Um, and that is why you have not seen those technologies in, in the mainstream. It's not because it's not possible and it hasn't been done. In fact, there's been plenty of experiments where these technologies uh, like uh, magnetic resonance have been done in you know mock structures, um, but it's not safe. That is the breakdown of all of them. And this is where our technology capacitive-based aerial transmission completely redefines what's possible when it comes to uh, wireless charging and then wireless power. Now you'll notice we keep saying wireless power and it's because we are attempting to flip, you know, flip that, that mindset of you can only charge something wirelessly. And so we have been able to, by using the electric field, we are able to separate the device from its charge pad, right? We'll call it the charge pad. We are able to separate them at great distances and we are able to influence uh, power over great distances safely. And that, uh, I'm, I'm actually glad you mentioned Nikola Tesla earlier because a lot of our foundation comes from the early work of Nikola Tesla. And we really believe that had he had mm, 20 more years, maybe 20, 30 more years, he would have solved those problems. It's totally possible. He was on the right path. And I will say this, that Evo has, Evo has taken a path that he was going down and we have continued down that path and found it to be true. So that man was so far ahead of his time for sure. But that is why, that is why our technology or, or CBAT um, is able to do these things. It's not, like Richard said, we're not breaking any rules. It's just we are able to do something that the industry has not been able to do safely yet. Um, and that is where CBAT performs. It is able to transmit energy large distances and meaningful energy. So it's not just, say, sending a few amps to a device so it's able to recharge. That is why we say wireless power. We are sending enough power to where we can power a cell phone without a battery on board. We can power a drone without a battery on board. Um, and, and you mentioned uh, you know, how the, the change of thinking um, has really affected the industry. Richard mentioned the horse. And it's so funny because the horse used to be the argument when cars came out. Why would we go to a car? It has explosive fuels. It is dangerous. You can crash. You can die. It doesn't have you know, attention like a horse does. And so just like changing the thought process of that, that is, it, it's a foundational level technology. So what we know of it already, you know, we're looking into the abyss right now of that technology. Um, what it's going to look like in 10 years is going to be unimaginable because it's going to be so great. Just in the way that cars have evolved, so will our technology. Oh, that's just, I get excited listening to, you, to both of you. So Richard, back to you. The at present, you're primarily focusing on application in space. Is is that a safe statement? Yes, with the Evo Drive. Yes. Okay. Your video, and you know, for folks of 
fans of Mike Seminary and Friends, we're recording this. I normally don't do this, but I'm going to break rules today. We're recording this April 22nd or 23rd, whatever it is today. I don't know when we're going to push it out. We'll talk about that when we're done. But I bring that up because when you go to that website, ivolimited.us, and watch this video, you'll see that as of March 13th, just a little over a month ago, that a first of its kind took place. Could you explain that, Richard, what I'm referencing in terms of the test? Yes, we were able to prove that we could provide thrust with no fuel, just using electrical energy in a vacuum environment. So a low earth orbit vacuum environment. We're able to prove that we could produce substantial measurable thrust in such an environment with only electricity and in a practical product ready package. So we are beyond just experiments. This is, this is beyond just a lab experiment. And this is testing our product. And that's what's so exciting about this is that we're showing amount of thrust that is no longer just wondering, you know, is that just a, a torquing of the test stand? Is that some kind of outside influence? We have brought in subject matter, matter experts to help validate our test setup, help make sure that we're not making errors because we like to move fast. <laughs> you mentioned the time there. Evo moves fast. And part of that is having Dan and Matt as part of the team, I think, with uh, with their marine background and their personalities, they like to move quickly. And as a smaller company, we can move quickly. Plus, we have this mentality of let's try to disprove something. The sooner we can disprove that something of ours doesn't work, uh, disprove that it works as quickly as possible, then we can adjust, correct, improve, and move on. So instead of trying to prove that our stuff works, we actually take the opposite mentality. We try to disprove everything. We try to break it as quickly as possible. And that way we can improve. And because of it, we've been able to take things from the experiment side all the way into product readiness. And so we have now been able to demonstrate actually repeatedly it working in a vacuum chamber. Our our test unit has spent a number of hours in low earth orbit, not only vacuum, uh, the uh, this negative six tor range of vacuum, but also in thermal cycling, the negative 100 degrees Celsius, the positive 100 degrees Celsius, and just sitting there at those temperatures to prove that it can withstand the rigors of space. And so we have now demonstrated that, and we're excited to continue to move forward with these products. Rich, I have to ask you a question. By the way, 100 below Celsius is nothing for people in North Dakota, just so you know. We, we, we run, I run every day five miles in the morning. I'd be out there in shorts and flip-flops, just so you know. Yeah. But when you say low Earth orbit, because I don't, I don't understand exactly what that means. Is that mean there's a presence of gravity or no gravity? There is always a presence of gravity. Okay. It's just at that point, it becomes so small that you can orbit the Earth rather easily. Um, and you're outside of most of the atmosphere, so you don't have much drag. 
So that's that's the lowest orbits that a lot of um, satellites like to operate at. So there's low Earth orbit, then there's medium Earth orbit, and then there's the geosynchronous orbit. Those are the three main layers of um, near space to Earth. And so there, it would be considered a microgravity environment. But due to orbiting, it's considered weightlessness. It's usually just referred to as weightlessness. So it, for me, either Richard or Daniel, one of the when this is scalable and it could be implemented for either satellites or space travel or all of the above, one of the things that could mean is that you, we wouldn't be as bound to the windows of time that are always so important when they want to launch something, because now all of a sudden you don't have that, that restrictive element to deal with. You can go on kind of a different time and calendar, which means a lot. Am, am I understanding that correctly? Yes, indeed. Um, timing of launches won't be quite as critical. Also inclination of launch won't be quite as critical. In other words, um, the latitude on earth from which you launch from won't matter as much. So a lot of space launches, they've tried to get it as close to the equator as possible because that provides them the, the, the largest amount of inclinations or different angles that they orbit around the earth. Uh, the higher in latitude they are, then the harder it is, it takes more energy once they're in space to change the inclination or the angle at which that satellite is gonna orbit around the earth. And so if you want to launch two satellites that have to be in two separate orbits, it's better to split them up between two different launches that are going to those orbits. However, with, with our technology, as long as it has electricity, it's not going to be fuel intensive anymore because there's no fuel. It's just using electricity. And with solar panels, you almost always have electricity in space. So you could launch to, from almost any latitude to almost any inclination. And once you're in space, the satellites could separate and go to wherever they actually need to be used. And that's mm -hmm. true of inclination. That's true of latitude. That's also true of if it's a Leo orbit, a Mio or a Geo, or even beyond. You could, you could theoretically launch a satellite or a probe into Leo, the low earth orbit, and have it go to the moon on its own. And then after it orbits the moon, you could have it on its own, go to Mars. And then come back again <laughs> without ever having to refuel as long as it has that solar energy. So, so once it's in space, it can just move around freely. And that is huge for the space industry because everything right now is how much fuel is it going to take to change the inclination, change the orbit, change the altitude. Etc. Daniel, based on what Richard just said, again, I'm giddy over this stuff. I have this question. When it's scalable, what could that potentially mean to, and I don't know, I, I, I'm, I tried to figure this out doing some research, how many satellites are actually out there. There's somewhere between eight, nine, 10,000, maybe more, I don't know. But what does it mean to existing satellites that are in orbit? And then what does it mean for those 
that would be launched to come. And I'm assuming over time, there'll be thousands again. What does that mean to that industry? So the reason I, I like that you mentioned uh, when it's scalable um, and with our press release, we determined that press release was appropriate when we had proven scalability um, and not scalability, like Richard mentioned, of a lab prototype, but a product itself. So now we are now bringing a scalable thruster to the industry um, at large. And so this isn't something that you'll see in 10 years. This is something that you'll see launch hopefully later this year. Um, what it means for current satellites that are already in orbit, there's already a number of players in the game of extending the life of satellites. You know, launching to space is such a massive undertaking for any company because it is so expensive. And it's even expensive when you have people like SpaceX who have made incredible breakthroughs um, or, or challenge the narrative, right? That's what SpaceX does. And they have made it far more affordable, but for anybody listening, far more affordable is a million dollars a launch minimum instead of 200 million, 300 million. Um, when we're talking in terms of the space organization, right? Uh, they talk in the billions. And that's why you see a lot of companies uh, now coming into the, um, you see them now coming into the game because SpaceX has made this more affordable for many people. What this technology does is, I think of it kind of like the iPhone launch. Uh, when they launched the iPhone, I remember watching that, you know, watching Steve Jobs give his keynote speech and thinking to myself at that time, you know, kind of a silly technology. That's honestly what I thought. It, it's a great idea, but I didn't understand the importance of it. Um, neither did a lot of innovators because, you know, okay, so it's a phone that has internet and could have applications. At the time, I had a iPod touch and I had my phone and I used them, you know, independent of each other. And I, hey, it works for me just great. What is the point of this? I don't see the big advantage to spend a ton of money. But then you saw the applications come out. You saw the Facebooks, the Instagrams of the world, the Snapchats of the world. And these were things that Apple themselves could have never guessed were going to happen off of the launch of that technology. And realistically, it was a foundational platform. And that is how I view the Evo Quantum Drive and CBAT, in fact. They are both foundational level. And so I can tell you in my I'll say short-sightedness, what, what it looks like right now. Right now, what it looks like is this enables so many people to go to space because they no longer have to consider sending something up into orbit, uh, whatever orbit it is, spending millions of dollars to do so, and then burning that up in, say, a year, three years, five years, seven years. They don't have to consider that anymore. And this is something for SpaceX. This is a well-established company that they are looking at uh, sending up Starlinks. You know, they're talking about 42,000 satellite constellation, right? Massive constellation. All of these internet constellations, defense constellations, it's thousands of satellites. So what this means is they don't have to determine the revolving door of cost anymore. You go up once, you're done. If you have the EVO quantum drive on board, you can stay in that orbit for as long as you please. And the other part of this that is so fantastic for existing satellites or legacy satellites is there's already missions 
that are happening, say, from Northrop Grumman with MEV missions, where they'll literally attach, you know, attach um, a unit to an existing satellite that could maybe extend its life for three years or five years. We're not talking about three years or five years. We're talking about decades minimum. Um, and it's a total change of thinking. And like Richard mentioned, the other, the other hurdle has always been, okay, we have our different orbits that we can play at. And those orbits are obviously determined by existing technology. How long can I stay in that orbit that, that makes it financially you know, <laughs> worth it? Um, and this is where it just changes the thought process. We are enabling new orbits with this technology because we can stay at that orbit. We can station keep for longer. We are enabling new potential for um, deep space mission because you can go much farther and you can continue going. We don't we don't have Don, you know, the Don spacecraft issues where your electronics still work, but you're out of fuel and so you're floating around in space and you're done. Um, so it's a complete change of thought process. And that's just scratching the surface of what it means for travel or uh, station keeping in our orbits. That doesn't even that doesn't even start to talk about the changes in platform, which I could go on and on about all day, just because it, it it's a change of thought process entirely. Um, and so five years from now, I would imagine the way that we view space, especially 10 years from now, it's not even going to be, it's, it won't even be the same. It'll be far different. Yeah, if I could just add to that, you know, he's talking about looking into the abyss and, and wondering what it's going to be like, because it's going to be, it's going to change things. And just to give you a tantalizing taste of just some of the case studies that we've calculated and considered, um, when you, when you don't have to worry about running out of fuel anymore, as long as you have some power level, uh, you know, electricity, whether it's solar or for deep space missions, such as, you know, a nuclear reactor, which is common already. Um, then you can do things like <clears throat> you could get to, you could, in other words, you don't have to launch and then for cruise for most of the flight. The reason why our timing for like places to Mars is six months or more is because we chemically use a chemical rocket to send us in that direction. Then most of the time is just cruising, just letting our momentum continue to take us, if you will. And then saving enough fuel to slow down at the, at the end and try to slow down enough to actually be captured around that planet. But with the Evo quantum drive, it could stay on the entire time. So that means you're accelerating half, half the time, half of the trip you're accelerating and then the other half of the time, you're deaccelerating. So we're talking about getting to Mars in less than 40 days. We're talking about going to Alpha Centauri instead of 10,000 years. We're talking about 20 years. We're talking about like before I die, we could have a probe in Alpha Centauri. That's the kind of, I, I know those are like thinking really, really big, but that's the kind of thing that this technology will open up. Beyond, besides just new orbits and shuttling services between space stations and planets and asteroid belts, etc. <laughs> oh, so on the website you'll see increased lifespan, one hundred percent controlled deorbiting, unlimited operational range, which Richard was just re referencing. Elimination, eliminating need for fuel, which is just, 
a killer, reduced energy requirements and drastic cost reduction. I, I, I have, I have Nikola Tesla's kids on my show today <laughs> and Elon Musk's cousins. This is just amazing stuff, you guys. Big question. Now, taking what you're doing, which is principally for forms of space travel, back to the EVTOLs or other transportation opportunities here on Earth. So I can get from my, my home at 1993 Mesquite Loop with an EVTOL over at a little station, probably a block away, and I fly over to Dan's house. Where do you see that coming into play based on the work that you're doing? That makes that question make any sense? Are, are you asking concerning the the Evo quantum drive applying to terrestrial usage or the electric power? The electric power, the single watt zero fuel. Did I say that right? Yeah. So you're talking about the Evo quantum drive. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. So can that be used for terrestrial needs? Not yet. This is strictly for outer space. Okay. And the reason is because of how we're making this work. Um, it's a, essentially when it comes down to it, fighting gravity is very difficult. <laughs> the, the more gravity close to the earth, you know, the harder it is. And uh, once we scale to that kind of ability, uh, scaling in space we can, be, can be done very quickly and very easily because in space, we're just changing inertia. We're just changing how the craft either wants to stay still or wants to continue moving in a certain direction. On Earth, there's so many other factors to, to we have to fight against. And so it's, that's not applicable for terrestrial means yet. I'm going to add that yet there. Uh, however, our wireless power transmission system is something, the CBAT, that's applicable immediately for terrestrial power applications. And that's what's going to change things concerning range anxiety for electric vehicles, whether they're road vehicles or flying vehicles, and be able to provide us with those kind of vehicles to be able to fly through the air and to not have to worry about range, et cetera. So what I just heard is oftentimes what we're doing in terms of research and pushing the envelope regarding space, whether it's travel or something else, there oftentimes are direct benefits for what we're doing on Earth because the, the, the science is the same. It's just going, you're going to, the trajectory will be different. So in other words, the future of space propulsion is here. I love it. Daniel, I got to ask you this question. What's the one thing What's the one thing you want people to know about Evo Limited? What, what I would want people to know about Evo Limited actually isn't just about Evo Limited. It's, it's what Evo Limited stands for. Um, in our video, we say, welcome to the future. And that really is the mentality of Evo. The future is going to look different. It's not going to look like it does today. We are bringing forth technologies that are snapshots of the future and embrace it. Embrace it, be excited about it, and 
come join us, you know, come, come on board, come join us. We want to show you, we want questions. We want uh, people who want to explore technology. We want people to uh, be on this ride with us because it is going to be, first of all, extraordinarily fun, but this is going to be a very, very interesting next few years of foundational level technology that's coming out. And so we, we want people to know it's going to look scary. It's not going to look like what you're used to, but that's, that's the way technology has always been. It has always evolved in that way. And this is just a part of that evolution. Richard, same question. Yeah, it comes down to, I want people likewise to know the mentality that when you're willing to accept that there, there is order in the universe, and I personally believe that God put it there, but when you believe, know that there's order and that we're just on this exciting trip of discovering what that order is and then taking advantage of it to make the human life better. That's what technological innovation should be. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting to me that over the last two decades with the personal and then personal experiments and progress that I've made, as well as as a company with these gentlemen, how, how far we've gone in just these two decades, just this one company, if more people would get that mentality and desire to, to push the envelope, what kind of progress we're going to be able to make over the next 20 years. It's, it's very, very exciting. Um, but yeah, what I would like people to know about Evo is that we're looking to advance technology for the betterment of mankind. And there's a lot of room for it, especially if you're willing to experiment and then apply it in a practical way and move forward. Mm -hmm. uh, there is an element of, uh, you know, you mentioned Elon Musk earlier, and, and I don't know if he was quoting someone else, but I first heard it from him. And that is, um, everyone's wrong to some degree, <laughs> you know, and it's a good mentality to start with, you know. I'm wrong in everything, in anything, at least some way. Otherwise, I have perfect knowledge. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's rather egotistical if I think I have perfect knowledge in something. I don't. And uh, it's exciting to know that there are more, th more things to be discovered. There's more areas of electricity. There's more things concerning energy. There's more things concerning inertia and gravity that are not only can be discovered in a scientifically valuable view, point of view, but also in a very practical, technologically applicable aspect as well. We'll have this information on mikeseminary.com, but the, the website is evo, I-V-O limited.us. Any other ways you want people to learn more about what you're doing or about you, or, or the website is good enough? The website is definitely the best way, um, especially if you follow our newsreel, it is the best way to get the most up-to-date information from Evo. Uh, that, yeah, so yes, the web website is definitely the best way. 
Will you guys come back on again? I'm not kidding. You. I've had so much fun today. I just would you would you when it's appropriate, would you be willing to come back on again? Oh, most definitely. Thank you for having us today. Well, Richard, Daniel, thank you so much for joining me. I've learned a lot. This is exciting. The master shipbuilder didn't make the ship to sit in a port. And you guys are launching some really interesting ships. And God bless you in the work that you're doing. I appreciate you so much. I am excited to watch what the, the two of you and your partners do. Thanks again for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. You have a great day, sir. Mm-hmm.